Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Gigabit Nation. I'm your host, Craig Fettles, and I am here every week to help uh, communities get more broadband and telehealth everywhere it needs to be. Uh, today, our topics are money and maps, because pretty much you can't do broadband or telehealth without both of these resources. Um, my first guest, um, well, I guess we call him the money man, that's uh, Scott Woods, who currently leads the uh, NTIA's Connecting Minority Communities Grant Program uh, as the agency gets fully engaged with addressing a diverse digital divide. Scott, welcome to the show. Thank you, Craig. It's my pleasure to be here with you today. Yes, that's great. It is a good time. Um, let's start with an overview of NTIA, because obviously there will be some of folks that aren't as familiar with them, you, as, uh, as a, you know, as a government agency? Yeah, I mean, it's really simple. Uh, we're the uh, federal executive branch agency at the Department of Commerce, uh, and we advise the executive branch on uh, domestic uh, and international telecommunications policy issues. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and some of your folks may be aware, uh, we also administered in this area of broadband for a while. Uh, going back to, you know, the top program, uh, some set-top box uh, programs, as well as more recently uh, the BTOP program, the Broadband uh, Technology Opportunities Program. Uh, and then, obviously, we have our, our three grant programs that we have this year, uh, and we all know what uh, we may get uh, under the uh, uh, the infrastructure bill. Mm-hmm. Um, by the way, is, is BTOP still around uh, I think there's one active project still left in the BTOP portfolio. Uh, okay. But, um, yeah, l- largely that, that program was a, a success, uh, and uh, many of those projects have gone on to do uh, wonderful things in the area of infrastructure expansion, uh, digital inclusion, you know, access and connectivity. Right, okay, because uh, BTOP was like the it's it vacuum. We were doing all the broadband similar stuff. But now let's talk about the um, the, uh, the CMC, the Connecting um, Minority Communities Program. What's that about? Yeah, so the Connecting Minority Communities Pilot Program, it's a, a new program here at NTIA authorized by Congress. Um, and it's going to directly address the lack of broadband access, uh, connectivity, adoption, and equity at uh, HBCUs, historically black colleges and universities, our tribal colleges and universities, and minority-serving institutions, uh, and the surrounding uh, anchor communities that they serve. Uh, it's really designed, as we all know, that these schools uh, were really hit hard with, with, when COVID came on, the pandemic. Um, mm-hmm. So while a number of our institutions were able to just flip a switch um, and, and, and migrate to an online platform, uh, there are a number of schools uh, who could not do it. Um, either they did not have the connectivity on campus uh, or their students um, did lack the devices and connectivity 
to fully, you know, uh, encompass remote instruction and uh, and uh, digital uh, uh, learning and all of those platforms that you know we now have become accustomed to uh, mm-hmm. since the pandemic. So, designed to address that issue. So, um, who would be the person or group within a typical college that would reach out to uh, NTIA about this program? Uh, generally, it's the you know the CIOs, uh, you know the, the provosts over student affairs. Uh, many of our colleges and uh, universities have grant departments, so you know it would be you know someone involved in their um, external affairs or grants department. Uh, or again, like I said, the uh, chief information office or IT office would uh, be the ones who reach out. Mm-hmm. I gotcha. And um, so now, the program, if I'm not mistaken, is uh, has a couple of new wrinkles. Uh, one being that um, that not only is the um, the intent to bring on funding for broadband, but also to bring on um, programs that help the adoption of the, um, uh, the the broadband technology, such as training and digital literacy programs and so forth. Um, and at the same time, on top of that, you have a, um, a, a we have the, uh, the call out to um, get programs that not only connect the students on campus, but also creates a broadband umbrella around the community, maybe with a 15-mile radius. Isn't this new, you know, new approaches for a government agency spend funding? Yeah, I think it's probably more uh, segmented than that. Uh, you know, this program, the Connecting Minority Communities Pilot Program, you know, doesn't address uh, construction or the physical infrastructure expansion. Um, although the schools, the institutions can use these funds to, you know, purchase Internet access service, including installation or upgrade of their broadband facilities. Uh, but mainly, it's not mainly, in addition to that, um, they can increase their own broadband capacity or connectivity, provide or lease equipment to students, and if they partner with, um, you know, an eligible uh, minority business enterprise or tax-exempt 501c3 organization, you know, they can extend those digital inclusion and access and connectivity, you know, programs uh, into the community. And there's mm-hmm. one provision in here I think is also important, that the school can also use these funds to hire and train information technology personnel, right, so for cybersecurity mm-hmm. or infrastructure hardening, hardening. You know, so think of all of those the systems that are impacted or that were impacted by COVID, you know, now that we're looking to sort of our post-COVID environment, uh, bringing these institutions, uh, the, you know, what they need to be able to, you know, fully function uh, in a post-COVID environment. Uh, mm-hmm. But I think it's also equally important to address the issue of uh, what Congress put in there is the anchor community. So it's recognizing that uh, within the 15-mile radius of these institutions, you know, these institutions are the hub or the lifeblood of these communities. 
And that specifically within those 15 miles, um, this particular program has a requirement that for census tracts um, that do not exceed 250% of the poverty threshold as set by the U.S. Census Bureau, uh, mm-hmm. We can do. We can fund uh, digital inclusion access. Um, you know subscriptions. We can do. You know uh, programming in in those communities either by the school itself, or if the school's par- school partners with a minority business enterprise, or again a tax exempt 501c3 organization. Mm-hmm. In some respects, isn't this um, enabling the colleges to become a best neighbor kind of um, role where, uh, you know, in some college towns there are some tensions between, you know, universities and the students and and so forth and the general community. But this seems to say, you know, we're going to reach out, you know, by way of this, you know, these grants to be a better um, you know, stronger, more committed to the community, which I assume mm-hmm. has good value. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think this recognizes that uh, specifically HBCUs, TCUs, um, and MSIs are, are lifebloods, if you will, uh, in the communities in which they sit and serve. Uh, and so many of these institutions, if not, I would say all of these institutions, you know, are economic hubs, are uh, seats of innovation um, are the economic drivers, if you will, of the communities in which they sit. Um, and so it makes a lot of sense that, uh, you know, these institutions are, are driving, if you will, or at the forefront of, uh, you know, providing digital inclusion, access, and innovation uh, with respect to uh, how broadband is used, um, not only by the students that attend that institution, but, again, the community in which that school serves. Mm-hmm. One of the things that caught my attention um, is the use of the word pilot. I, I have actually been advising communities um, in in this last year or so to encourage them to use or to create a pilot as part of what they're requesting money for because it seems like the um, uh, in addition to maybe getting more money for the project, but by creating a pilot, it has a, or a cachet of, you know, this is just the beginning, right? This is how you can, you know, what we're doing here can be replicated throughout a community or a city or state. Is that the, the intent um, by having that, you know, pilot program name. Yeah, I think so. I think uh, it was Congress's intent to, uh, you know, use this program as, as a test as to see, you know, obviously there's a need, um, but to also foster innovation and innovative yeah. approaches yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. that maybe, you know, we, you know, customizable programs may have not thought of. Um, you know, it gives us the ability here at the program office to really champion uh, our institutions of higher education to think outside of the box and push the mm-hmm. envelope, if you will, uh, to uh, what maybe we have not thought about or our staff, you know, has not thought about um, and, and really see how we can replicate the successes. Uh, a big component of this program 
is the evaluation and data collection component um, and also mm-hmm. our reporting obligation to Congress after the completion of this program. So our goal, hopefully, you know, to really fund some really great innovative projects. Uh, we recognize that there is greater need than what this pilot program can fund, uh, but hopefully this is the ground floor uh, to uh, more innovative projects, more funding uh, to address the need that exists uh, across all of our institutions of higher education. Mm-hmm. Now, I understand the you know, mechanics of Washington politics and bureaucracy and whatnot that um, you may not be able to answer all of this question, but um, there was somewhere in my travels I heard someone say, well, you know, um, NTIA might become one of the lead agencies with this um, $65 billion um, infrastructure program. And is that something that you can uh, talk about or talk about around? Or <laughs> I mean, is, is there much, um, you know, should I put much credence in that rumor or is it, you know, an actual thing that you guys are going to be tapped for, um, you know, being the, you know, the main drivers of this program? I think you hit it on the head. I, I can't speak for that. <laughs> I'm not authorized to speak on that. That's uh, totally above my pay grade. Uh, you know, Congress you know, enacts the laws. They advise us and, and tell us what to do, and then we we react accordingly. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Would it be um would it be um appropriate to say that um this idea of a holistic approach to broadband funding so that we don't have, you know, infrastructure over here and um mm-hmm you know, digital inclusion stuff over there, which might be in a different uh, program or different, you know, agency and so forth. It, do we have a sense of maybe we'll be moving toward holistic approaches? Because clearly with the the, the uh, Treasury Department's um, uh, newfound, as they say, uh, $10 billion uh, program, there seems to be emphasis on their side about like uh, creating a holistic approach, is that the way of the future, do you think? Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the sort of best practices that uh, we've documented through, you know, obviously the administration of the BTOP program and and our technical assistance work since then, um, is that infrastructure and and digital inclusion access um, and equity aren't separate, you know, tracks or ideas. Um, Ah. They are comprehensive solutions, right? So in the past, Mm -hmm. you know, we've worked with communities where all the focus and all the money, quite frankly, is on the infrastructure. Uh, And I think that represents sort of an antiquated thinking in the past that, you know, if you build it, you know, they will automatically come. Um, Mm -hmm. I think we've transitioned here in the last several years that in addition to the emphasis on infrastructure expansion, broadband infrastructure expansion, Um, You also have to address the people, uh, the human capital component, the digital access, equity, uh, and connectivity. And so now I think you see that holistic, comprehensive comprehensive approach that includes 
at the same time, you know, tan- tangentially, both infrastructure and a focus on e- either vulnerable populations or, um, you know, again, digital inclusion access um, and making sure that, um, you know, we're not leaving anyone behind. Mm-hmm. Now, is um, so I look at there were three uh, programs. There was the one program that was looking at uh, rural areas, I think, and that has closed uh, a little while ago. Um, there was the tribal um, program that was, you know, the largest of all the three programs. And then you have the uh, Minority Campus um, uh, uh, approach. Is this, you know, is, is this going to be the way of, uh, you know, things as we go forward where there are, um, you know, different silos of, of applicants or populations that you're trying to serve? Not necessarily, you know, and so um, will that be, do you think, um, you know, where things will be going? Yeah, I do. I actually do. I think if you look at uh, particularly the impact of the of the pandemic and and the disparity that was uh, I'm not going to say created, but that was further highlighted, um, I see. I see. You, you can see. You know, logically, you know, tribal lands and tribal areas, um, you know, being significantly impacted. Uh, you see. You know, particularly, you know, unserved or underserved communities are particularly impacted. Um, and then, you know, the program that, that I have the pleasure of leading, the CMC, you know, obviously you see the impact on the institutions themselves, but the students in which they serve. So I think these programs that we've launched this year and that Congress authorized, you know, really address those areas of disparity and need. Um, and I think you'll, you'll see that, <clears throat> excuse me, more as we move into, as we move into it in the future, because a part of what we're doing at NTIA is we have our national broadband availability map program and we're we're using broadband data mapping and visualization to really target where broadband is not right Uh, we Mm -hmm. need to know where it is uh, but we also need to know where it is not and then that way we can better target uh, a use of the federal resources the taxpayers money uh, again to ensure that that money is going uh, to areas that actually um, need the uh, infrastructure and and the programming uh, uh, to address what their citizens need. So mm-hmm. I think you can see that, uh, you will see that holistic, uh, you know, sort of uh, approach as we move, as we move forward. Mm-hmm. Does, um, does there, is there some effort that um, tries to even out some of the, um, what I consider disparity, the funding disparity between rural and um, urban. Um, mm-hmm. the, the, the urban, the rural areas have a, you know, issues of distance and sparse populations and so forth, and it has with that, you know, certain costs and so forth. At the same time, you know, if I look at the last ten years both the rhetoric and the uh, the, uh, the, um, uh, the programs themselves 
seem to heavily favor um, rural. Now, with the trans, uh, the uh, treasury involvement, it seems like there's more of a uh, a, um, a parity between the two, right? So they're not we're not creating any kind of like you know um, some sort of uh, competition, right? Because that's counterproductive. But it just seems like there's more. Uh, effort, or at least the the outcome is that the rural is getting more of uh, you know some part of the the, the action there. I mean, what what's your some of your thoughts on those on that that issues those issues? I, I think this you know as we get <clears throat> uh, better and actionable data, uh, and again all of this you know is contingent upon. Congress and how they enact these laws and put mm-hmm. our you know, sure. statutory purposes in. So mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's in part a function of that. But I think the more information and data that we have, you know, again, in urban areas, the issue, uh, we, even though there are broadband deserts in, in urban areas, uh, and I'm generalizing what I'm about to say next, um, mm-hmm. in general, the issue is not necessarily connectivity um, or access. It's about affordability and digital inclusion although there are some areas that don't have the infrastructure, even in, in, in large urban, you know, metro areas. Uh, yeah, exactly. And then the, the reverse is true in rural areas. Um, there tends to be less infrastructure, <clears throat> uh, but, again, it hasn't been, I think, historically uh, an issue or focus on, on digital inclusion, and access, and workforce development. And I think all of this is changing now, right, again, as a result of the mm-hmm. pandemic. Um, it's highlighted uh, a ton of disparity, and it provide, it's provided a ton of information uh, about what's needed and what's lacking um, in both our urban areas and in the rural areas. So, mm-hmm. um, again, I think as we move forward, uh, it, we, we will see, particularly with our CMC and our tribal pro- uh, program and the broadband infrastructure grant programs, our three grant programs we launched, you know, this year, you know, you, you hopefully you will see fill in those gap approaches uh, to where we are addressing um, the needs of the communities where they are. Yes, that, that makes sense. Uh, one of the things I, I liked about the rural program was it seemed to um, allow for government, local government, uh, and smaller companies and, and ISPs and so forth to um, participate because I I'm pretty sure you read or have heard of the various um, folks that are you know not happy about the roles that the large companies play when it comes to the rules that govern who gets money and in, in these different programs and um, you know but the the uh, you know that rural program that that NTIA did seems to be uh, cognizant of the fact that um, uh, you, you know the, the the local government, the local communities have to play a bigger role in the you know where this money goes and gets spent as we move forward. I think. Mm-hmm. Yes, I agree. I, I can't speak on any other agency, but if you look at sort of the history of of NTIA's grant making, we, we typically uh, made eligible uh, entities 
you know, service providers, as well as nonprofits, as well as colleges and universities, um, you know, local government, municipal organizations, you name it. Um, we, we've typically done that uh, throughout our grant-making history. So, uh, mm-hmm. again, recognizing that there is no, you know, singular way or one approach to, uh, to address these issues. Uh, we really need a collaborative uh, approach among um, private sector, philanthropic, and the public sector, uh, and our community organizations and community organizers uh, to make all of this happen, to achieve what we want, which is ultimately mm-hmm. we want you know, everyone to be able to have connectivity, right, uh, to right. be able to access the Internet for its, uh, you know, fullest and best use, right? If anything that's highlighted anything about it, uh, as a result of the pandemic is, uh, you know, you got to have it. <laughs> you know, if you don't, mm-hmm. you are at a not even a disadvantage. You are severely impacted. Um, and so uh, I think we've recognized that, um, and our rules, uh, again, ensure that uh, a larger number of uh, eligible entities can apply uh, for our funding. Mm-hmm. So we've got about five minutes. I want to see if I can squeeze two questions in here. Uh, first one is, um, is, is the NTIA's position that um, – any recipient of any of their funds can also get money from uh, state government funds and other agencies in the federal government. Mm-hmm. Well, typically, so, the, the rules that are uh, promulgated with the with our authority uh, will outline that. Our, our general uh, thought uh, is, I can speak on behalf of, of CMC. Um, you know, we look at that as complementary, uh, but there is prohibition uh, on the use of federal funds for similar or the same project purpose. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's no dipping um, with respect to that. Um, but we, you know, to the extent that, um, you know, programs you know, build on top of each other or extend um, and, and go into new territories, um, you know, a recipient can be, an applicant, excuse me, can be a recipient of uh of additional or other federal funds uh, as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that's yeah, good they to just know. can't use them. They can't co-mingle those funds together. So I can't use, I wouldn't be able to use, you know, treasury money uh, in my application for, you know, NTIA fund funding. But I could build off of, uh, you know, again, if, if a one project is middle mile and now I want to do last mile, you know, I can do that uh, in the same geographic area because those are two, Fundamentally, two different, uh, two different programmatic purposes. I gotcha. I gotcha. All right. Well, my last question. Uh, we got like two minutes here. Um, I'm a big proponent um, for telehealth um, because personally, it is. Um, but does adding a telehealth component would that make a proposal? Um, you know stand up and, you know, might get more interest from grant reviewers, do you think? I would not say one approach. I think the great thing about the CMC pilot program is, again, we're, we're championing uh, innovative approaches, uh, and we tend to leave it to the communities and the schools to, you know, understand what their best needs are. Uh, mm-hmm. fit the community profile. And so, again, if that is indeed telemedicine and it fits under the statutory purposes that are outlined in the governing documents, like the Notice of Funding Opportunity, 
um, then absolutely. Um, you know, I think one of the beauty of the, the CMC pilot program is that it is a pilot. Um, mm -hmm. and we don't have a real defined approaches of what must have. Uh, I think the statutory purposes are, are pretty broad. Um, and then when you add the uh, ability to partner uh, and submit a consortia application uh, with an MBE or a tax-exempt 501c3 organization, you know, those organizations, their purpose could be to further telemedicine and telehealth. You know, the school can partner in that um, and, and make that happen and, and be able to support that for the needs of the community. So it all mm -hmm. comes, turns, comes back to, you know, the needs of the community and what's best. Again, ensuring that it fits under uh, the designs of the statute and the, uh, the guidelines and the criteria that we set forth. Gotcha. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. I want to thank you very much for um, stopping by because I know you're very busy and, uh, but I'm glad that you were able to, to share, you know, some of the, the, you know, the working, the inner workings um, that you're involved with and stuff. And, uh, and I wish you guys much luck um, because definitely, you know, there is a need for the funding and the innovation that you're trying to um, uh, release, you know, in these different communities. So I, I applaud that, and I wish you best of luck with uh, all of your projects there. Thank you. I appreciate it. If I can put in one final plug, just for the yes, sir. application window is open. Mm -hmm. uh, it is open until December 1st. Uh, applications must be in, uh, must be submitted by 1159 Eastern standard time on December 1st. So uh, folks are still interested. They can contact us via uh, our website. Uh, but, again, the application window is open right now through December 1. Excellent. Excellent. Thanks again. I really appreciate your time. Thank you for having me. All righty. All right. So now our next guest, we might want to call him the map man, uh, Bill Price. Uh, Bill is the Vice President of Government Solutions at uh, Lightbox, and uh, actually before all of this, um, Bill and I met during the, the broadband stimulus world and all the craziness that that involved, and he's been um, doing a lot in the area of broadband planning and mapping in the state of Georgia. So, Bill, thank you very much for um being here, and let's take it away. Thank you, Craig. Glad to be here. Excellent. So the the, the first thing I've got to deal with is um, there was a whole lot of um, uh, hubbub and uh, excitement and so forth because they were sort of portraying your company as, um, you know, these mapping gods and goddesses for broadband, what was all that about? Uh, you know, because, you know, what is it that you guys do, but what is it compared to what the media said you were doing? Well, Lightbox is a data company, uh, and they focus on acquiring, integrating, and providing better data for better decisions in various industries like commercial real estate, mm -hmm. um, insurance companies, financial companies. Uh, there are applications that 
are used by everyone every day that are supported by Lightbox location data like Zillow, Apple, Google, and others. So wow. their focus and their their focus and their mission is to acquire and integrate, you know, data assets into integrated data intelligence, right? Mostly around mm-hmm. location and location information, right? And that's how we we discovered them when I was doing the mapping project in Georgia where we wanted to map each and every location, 5.2 million of them, could they get broadband or not? So we acquired data from Lightbox and worked with them to produce the Georgia map, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's, you know, that's what was interesting and attractive to me, and I joined them about eight eight weeks ago. Um, and the idea is to take what we learned from doing the Georgia project, the best practices and how to do it, uh, and go make it simpler and easier for others who want to do it. Mm-hmm. So in the world of mapping, we, un- we read a lot about mapping. You know, we, the, this group or this agency, you know, has good maps or this agency has bad maps and so forth. What exactly is a broadband map? What are you actually doing with the data that what the, the map represents? Taken, which is based on what was done in Georgia, is, okay. to map, is to map availability at each and every residential and commercial structure, right, that exists, mm-hmm. right? Now, there are all kind of ways to do maps. I mean, maps are just visualizations of whatever data you've got, right? And some are some are using speed test data to visualize where broadband is and where it's not. Uh, mm-hmm. There's various co- companies that provide speed test data, M Labs, Ookla, and others. Right. The, the the challenge in any any kind of mapping effort is closing data gaps. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. Where you don't have good data um, to make good decisions from. And speed test data is great in urban and cities where there's lots of speed test data records to use, right. To model out where broadband is or not. But when you get into the rural areas, which is where most of the unserved locations are in, in America, right. There's not enough speed test volume. Now in Georgia, we undertook to promote speed tests and we had, you know, um, momentary upticks in speed test data in certain areas, but you need a sustained, volume of speed tests to accurately portray and know where is broadband available so where it's not. And then others are we're still relying on the, uh, the past FCC 477 data, which, uh, you know, overstates where broadband is because of the methodology. And, of course, they're trying to address that. They have a procurement out right now. All the vendors have responded. Everybody's waiting on a decision on the next step to go build a national location-level broadband database that can then be mapped for availability at each and every location in the United States. Mm-hmm. Okay. So now, what, what was the gist of some of the articles? Because, like, the first time you and I talked uh, a week or so ago, it was like they're, they're saying this one thing over here, but it's not actually what you guys do. And so you've explained what you do. So what what did they assume that you did? Well, there was a recent article in CNET about a uh, a map which was portrayed as a broadband map, and, and it's not. Um, we did a map uh, where we co- we collected billions of Wi-Fi signal activation records, and we used that to portray a percentage of residential locations that are using the internet at any speed. 
So that particular map, right, uh, is not a broadband availability map. It is an Internet use map. So we calculated percentages of residential households and census tracts, right? And we've got the data all the way down to the location points, but the map we we did was a demonstration of Lightbox's capabilities to uh, take data and integrate it and then visualize it. Okay. So then, you know, if I'm a city administrator or a city council or just a broadband, you know, advocate, uh, what can I do with what you produce? Well, you know, if you've got money to invest, right, if you look at it from an investment perspective, right, and you want mm-hmm. to make the money you have go as far as you can to solve your problem. So I got a problem. I'm a local government. I'm a state government. I'm the federal government. And we want to solve expanding broadband into areas that you could think of as market failures because there's not enough customer revenue for the private sector to invest by themselves, right? So we're going to make a joint investment through through grant programs, funding programs, right? Well, mm-hmm. wouldn't you want to know, wouldn't you want the best data, right, and information you could get, right, to make that investment decision? Where you're going to invest it, how many locations you're going to serve because you invested it. Otherwise, you know, if you if you don't do something more precise, then you're basically guessing, which is what people have been doing for over a decade. I mean, right. you know, hey, if you don't if you don't have the data, you do the best you can with what you've got, right? True. And that's mm-hmm. what a lot of people have been doing, federal and states, right, and local governments, right? So, and, you know, local governments, you know, are hoping, I guess, and relying on states to provide technical assistance and better data to make better decisions. Um, the providers now, they also want better data. Um, like in RDOF, the Rural Digital Opportunity Fund, $9 billion awarded. Um, the FCC does not give those awardees location information. They give them an estimated number of locations in the area they were awarded in, but it's up to the awardee to go and acquire or have the location data so they can design and build their network. Mm-hmm. So everybody, providers and government, at this point really would, you know, want better data. And that's the mission of Lightbox, which is to provide better data. I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. Okay, that 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 makes sense. So now, um, with uh, GIS and other tools that contribute to these uh, maps or what people want to pay as maps, um, can you end up giving people more data than is advisable? Like, can you overwhelm? someone with all this technology? Well, you know, decision makers and executives don't want to look at all the granular data. They have questions that they want answered, right? So it's Mm -hmm. up to, you know, technical staff people to have the tools and the data at their disposal to go look at the data and derive the answers for them, right? It's like, in Georgia, the 216 school districts were given $30 million to deploy Wi-Fi hotspots on buses to help students get on the Internet during COVID, right? Mm-hmm. Now, the 216 school districts didn't want to go do a lot of data acquisition and data analysis, right? And neither did the Department of Education. So they turned to us 
while I was at the Georgia Technology Authority, and we did that for them. And we, we took all the student location data. We overlaid that with the broadband availability data. We could tell them how many student homes didn't have broadband access. We knew exactly where the student homes were. And then we acquired wireless data and overlaid that and did analysis to determine where the best signal strengths were so they could decide where to deploy the Wi-Fi hotspots on buses during COVID, right? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, you're right. You know, county administrators, city administrators, state agency executives, you know, I mean, they don't want to, they don't want to be doing it in the weeds, right? You, you need the, Mm -hmm. you need a team of people, you need expertise, whether it's in-house or contracted, who can, you know, get the data do the overlays, do the integration, do the analysis, and answer the questions. And is the, the, the value in the asking of the questions or just analyzing, uh, you know, raw data? Well, the, the value is having good, accurate data. The more precise it is, the better, right? Because the more precise mm-hmm. it is, the better you're targeting your investment decisions, right? I mean, because typically the questions are around where should I invest, right? Where should I spend money in a program, mm-hmm. whether it's whether it's avail- broadband availability or adoption programs or, you know, anything else, right? Um, it's like right now the federal government, as you know, they have numerous programs, broadband, the EBB program to pay for low-income folks, right? Uh, who can't afford internet access at broadband to get it, right? Mm-hmm. And knowing where they are, knowing where they are helps guide, you know, how you programs in local communities if you know where the eligible people live, right? Mm-hmm. And typically it's hard it's hard to get that information because of PII restrictions, privacy restrictions. Ah, um, but okay. but you know, I mean states have that information. They know who is enrolled and eligible for those programs. They know the addresses of those folks, but that information is pretty tightly guarded. So it's difficult, you know, to get it at a very granular level. Um, But, you know, we, you know, we, we, we worked with that in Georgia. Um, We overlaid lots of different information to try and answer questions that were being asked, you know, whether it's, whether it's for telehealth purposes, you know, healthcare programs or, education purposes, you know, et cetera, or, or even uh, like there's a program we, we mapped out all the low-income housing properties uh, in the state because the governor was allocating money to provide connectivity to folks living in low-income housing. So we worked with the Department of Community Affairs. We brought in all the location data for that, and then we did analysis on what's the best options to provide connectivity to them. Okay, I got gotcha. you. Okay. Um, wow. Can you map things that are, like, we may look at, okay, the number of kids, the number of kids that are, you know, in a certain economic status and so forth, but can you or should you do things such as, um, you know, based on, uh, you know, the number of, food deserts or broadband deserts that you you have you know you have a need right but you're sort of me- measuring your need based of a, on a lack of stuff you know you just you know yeah so does that 
you know, is that a doable thing? Is that advisable to look at more um, uh, soft data and issues? Well, you could map any any data you can acquire, right? Okay, that's your starting and point. And, and and the quality of the of the map and its ability to help you navigate, because that's the purpose of a map, is to help you navigate mm-hmm. from point mm-hmm. A to point B, right? Yeah. So the quality the quality of that and the effectiveness of that is totally based on the the accuracy and the completeness of the data you use to build the map from, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Clearly, if you're looking at broadband availability, there are absolutely broadband deserts. There are counties in Georgia that are 100% unserved, 100%. Nobody can get 25.3 from any provider based on what the providers told the state, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if if you if you overlay income, you know, data, right? You can see where people, the greatest, you know, uh, areas of people who can't afford broadband. Actually, you know, what you really see is the largest number of people who can't afford broadband are where broadband is in urban markets and cities um, <clears throat> because that's where the population is, right? Mm, gotcha, um, gotcha. If, when, you, when you talk about soft, I, I don't know what that soft means. I mean, if it's data, it can be, it can be used to do analysis and map. I, I, don't know, I don't know what to do with the word soft. Well, I guess there's like, there, I, I would be the opposite of uh, uh, hard data. You know, I mean, there's a there's a sense that when you're dealing with qualitative data versus quantitative data, where you know, like emotions can get wrapped into it, or you know, it, it's um, uh, I think it's just how we look at marketing. I guess that. Uh, so now, um, one of the things that I'm looking at is, you know, can um, can you use you know the, this kind of data to create maps for telehealth? Because this is a big thing with me, so I apologize now. It's a bias, but um, you know, can I use broadband data to figure out where I can or can't do telehealth types of applications? You know, because uh, the the the, the Broadband deserts are places where you just can't do telehealth. I mean, is there some aspect of, you know, using telehealth that you can use maps to get, to do things more effectively or efficiently or what have you? Yeah, if you have questions around healthcare delivery via telehealth, telemedicine, right? It's just the same mm-hmm. scenario as you have questions about delivering education, from educators to students, right? So mm-hmm. if you know if you know where they are and you know where broadband is and is not, right? Then you can answer questions about healthcare delivery over you know the internet, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you can map doctors' offices, you can map hospitals, you can map uh, you know schools, uh, you can map presentation sites in the world of you know telehealth. If you have a remote site where there's a cart that's meant to be connected to the internet back to a hospital or where a doctor can get on there or a nurse can get on there and do a triage, you can map all of that. If you've got the data, you can map it all. You can illustrate it. You can, you can quickly identify visually, you know, where the worst spots are, you know, if you want to prioritize based on that. Right. Mm -hmm. 
So you can do, um, you know, say you look in an area and say, okay, we want to build broadband infrastructure or telehealth infrastructure, um, you know, whether it's computers or it's, you know, wireless can, uh, connections versus fiber connections and so forth. But you can use um, the data or the maps to create uh, action plans as well, right, as, you know, when you look at a, a situation or a town or what have you. Yes. Okay. All right. And that makes, uh, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I think that, um, you know, we have a, a, a mindset of, okay, we, we get these, we get these maps and we can go out and we can make decisions about where to build broadband. You know, I guess the question is, you know, can I use those kinds of maps to build you know, telehealth delivery. Can I use it to, you know, look at, um, you know, economic, you know, where we want to get um, uh, entrepreneurial centers and that kind of thing, uh, we, which it seems like it's possible. We just, I don't think, I don't know if it's talked about a lot. You know what I mean? What's your question? Well, just can you use it to take, to, uh, to, to create stuff, to build things uh, as much as you can say, well, can I just want to, you know, one person might say, I just want to know, you know, where uh, I'm going with this, with this, you know, money. Um, you know, can we create stuff for, uh, for telehealth and education and so forth the same way? For economic development purposes, you mean? Yeah, that, that's definitely a good case. Of course you can. Of course you can, and of course it is. There's lots of uh, firms that specialize in site selection, right? Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of, you know, um, state and local government people in economic development rely on data and maps to show companies where infrastructure is and is not, right? Uh, companies mm -hmm. looking at locating their corporate headquarters into an area, they ask questions like, is broadband available to my employees? Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, again, if, if you can acquire the information to overlay it so you can see, right? I mean, and, you know, local regional develop, regional planning commissions, especially in the larger cities, do exhaustive and extensive data acquisition and mapping for economic development purposes, right? And they, they're, they're, they're tracking and mapping, you know, commute times, to an area and from an area, you know, and population demographics, you know, it it gets quite extensive and exhaustive depending on what your questions are and what problem you're trying to. Gotcha. I gotcha. When we um, we talked uh, a, few, a few days ago, um, you know, you you said that if you not know, if I'm doing if I'm interpreting this right, um, that you don't necessarily need to know where broadband is. Oh, I'm sorry, where um, you can, how can I best phrase this? Um, I, I guess with telehealth, do we need broadband to do telehealth? I think what you said was that uh, it depends on the area where you're um, looking. I wanted to, I, I wanted, on, it, really, it really depends on what you're trying to do via telehealth, right? Um, many states 
for over a decade have had telehealth networks in place and operational without 25 meg down three up. They, okay. Mostly they were doing it with mostly they were doing it with one and a half meg T1 one down one and a half down one and a half up. That's where most telehealth networks got started, and they started using wireless as well. As wireless became more prevalent and speeds became higher and more reliable, then they started using wireless. I mean, the Georgia Partnership for Telehealth has an extensive statewide network connecting hospitals and doctors and rural presentation sites and schools and school clinics um, so that healthcare people can do various functions like triage, you know, the initial look. The higher the speed you've got, the more you can do, right? So if okay. you need to transmit, if you need to transmit some big file, uh, you know, or do a, a scan uh, remotely and get it back to a hospital for a neurologist to look at, well, you got to have a lot of speed, right? So it depends mm-hmm. on what you're trying to do. You're limited, are limited by the capacity of the network to the point of presence where the, um, you know, the uh, patient is at. Mm-hmm. Okay. It was interesting to me when um, the FCC had was had two different uh, telehealth programs, but they were basically giving away money to um, uh, healthcare providers, right? And which you know made sense, except for no one asked the, the question: Can the patients of those health centers or clinics, do they have broadband? And I'm not sure, but it just seems like um, that was a um, uh, a mission on the FCC's part. And then like, how do you reconcile this issue where you're basically saying, here's a chunk of money, go build telehealth, but you have a bunch of people who you are serving who can't get the broadband. They can't to be able to do the telehealth. I'm familiar with one program that the FCC funds for telehealth. And that mm-hmm. is part of the that's part of the Universal Service Fund and it's operates much like the E rate program does for education. They subsidize the bills for providing connectivity to telehealth operators who build and run networks and provide access to people in remote areas. So it pays for a portion of the bill. I think it pays right. up to like 85, 90%, right? So they, they pay for it themselves. They get reimbursed or the provider gets reimbursed out of that program. Now the feds, the FCC has also run uh, and probably other agencies like maybe um, USDA have done grant programs for telehealth. And typically those grant programs are to pay for the equipment that you deploy in the remote areas that the patient goes to, which is close and convenient, sits down in front of, you know, with a a nurse practitioner, there's a cart, there's equipment, expensive equipment, right? In order for do the diagnostics to send that information to the doctor, right? So those are the things I'm familiar with. I I don't know. I'm not familiar with anything else. Okay. Just, um, I don't know. I just I, I look at things from different perspectives and so forth. Um, well, um, what's going to be next for um, Lightbox as, as as you guys move forward? Like, well, we continuously, as a data company, we continuously evaluate 
data sources that will improve the quality of the data for decision makers, right? It's like, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're got that, we put out that national map of internet use based on billions of Wi-Fi signal activations. Turns out that every Wi-Fi device, every one of them, has Wi-Fi chips in them that has software in them, and every time the signal activates, that data is captured and recorded and aggregated back, right? So we're evaluating now where might we use that kind of data to improve, you know, the maps and the data, you know, for decision-making as it relates to Internet adoption or even um, location accuracy, right? Because everybody's facing location data gaps in rural America. The data, the data quality and the data availability gets lower and lower the more remote you get. Mm-hmm. So we're we're constantly we're constantly on the hunt at you know data assets that we can either acquire or develop ourselves. Uh, building footprints is another one for accuracy perspective. So that's what we're up to. Gotcha, gotcha. Now one of the things um, that I did have a question about, and this will be the last question before we go. Um, you talk about the wireless access points and that's where you're mapping stuff. But what about the people who have fiber or does fiber not fit into the equation of what you guys do? Well, we don't really need fiber routes and most of the big providers are not going to share fiber routes for security and competitive Mm -hmm. purposes. Right. I mean, you, you can go to the commercial market and you can buy fiber information from some of the providers, but it's incomplete. Right, uh, and for our, purpose, for our purposes, for our purposes, and the clients we serve, we do not need fiber route data. Hmm. Okay. All right then. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate your time and uh, you know and insights and so forth. And I wish you guys best of luck with the um, you know your dealings with the FCC, and hopefully that'll work out well. Um, you know, that, that would be good. That'd be good. I think just, you know, to get better, get better maps would be good. Um, but again, thank you very much. And let's, uh, meet up at some point, uh, when we get fully out of the pandemic and we can go do conferences again. Thanks a lot, Craig. I appreciate the opportunity. Alrighty, and thank you very much also our audience for uh, tuning in. Uh, Next week we'll be back again. So have a great day and rock and roll with broadband.